This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. We want to welcome our online listeners today. I, I know that for some of you, you have been waiting. This is number eight in our lineup of messages on identification. I want to, I want to give you guys an example. If I took an empty pop can and every time that I said something of a bad identity about you, the pop can being you, it makes this impact on the can and it dents the can, right? One dent is not going to affect the fluid level, correct? So if you mess up with your kids once or twice, you know, with an identity statement like, you, you uh, little dummy, you're not going to amount to anything, or you're stupid, or some of these stuff we say to our kids. If, if you just slip up once in a while, it's really not going to leave too many dents in the can. Correct? Therefore, as the child grows up, they're going to think, okay, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your names will never hurt me. And you look at some of those kids as adults and you go, aren't they affected by rejection? Well, either one of two things happened to that kid. One is he didn't receive enough dents that it affected the fluid content in the can. Or two, there's been a life change in this young man or young woman. The more dents that are placed in this can... The enemy uses oppression to squeeze that can. And so if I actually had a can and I'm squeezing now, there's been enough identity statements made on this child's life that the enemy can just squeeze the can. And then I can take a full can of soda and I can pour it into that opened crushed can and how much of the full can of soda will I get into the crushed can? How much? Just guesstimate. Percentage-wise. 100% versus this crushed can, what's the percentage I'm going to get in there? And I've actually done this experiment. 10%. That means that people who come from a horrible, horrible, rejective background are only going to get about 10% of the identity truths. Really be able to apply 10% of the identity truths. You look at some of those Christians and you just say, don't they get it? Aren't they ever going to get it? Okay, common sense says this. How are we going to take that wounded, dented can, identification, who is obviously still impacted by those rejection statements, how are we going to open up that vessel to take on more of who they truly are, the living water, into that vessel? How are we going to do it? Huh? But we don't get a new can. That's the interesting thing. If you ever want to find out who you're not, just look in the mirror. Because you're decaying and you're dying daily. It is not who I am. 
You just look in front of the mirror and God says, I'm going to leave this snapshot in your life. So if you ever wonder what you really look like, look in the mirror. But who you are in Christ Jesus can only be looked at from inside out. And not too many people can explain to me how that's done. They just look at the mirror. Too fat, too ugly, too gotta do my God, a little more makeup, a little more. And they constantly approve the external thinking it's gonna make them feel emotionally better inside. It doesn't until the next morning. Or it does for 10 minutes. Just depends on the can. You have to take a vessel, a life, that goes inside that can and pushes it out from the inside out. That, that life, that force has to be from inside out. Then you fill it up. You may not get to a whole hundred percent before you die, but that constant daily working out your dents, working out your salvation, provides more capacity for the living water to fill that person up and it'll go from 10% to 20% to 40% to 50% to 80%. If you hit 100%, you are a very unusual person. That is this process. You want a reminder? I do believe we're supposed to collect treasures for treasure boxes. We need to put reminders, museum pieces on our mantles it would be very appropriate after this morning's message to go get a, a pop can and squish the daylights out of it and stick it on top of your mantle and look at that thing from time to time and be reminded exactly what happened to you. Yes, there are children that grow up with very little rejection. They accept who they are in Christ and they take off like jets into the ministry of the exchange life. They don't have to work on dents. I happen to have to work on dents because of the volume of dents that were put into my life as a child. Questions or comments on this before we move to explaining it thoroughly? When you're disciplined, uh, discipling an individual and he or she is able to stay with you long enough to reach what we're calling phase five of your equipping process, then you and your disciplee are going to see some very, very special things. Now I'm going to use DK's story as an example because he's a real live case to me of going from true wickedness and destruction to true exchange life living and preaching. Now it appears that it was within a very short period of time. You take the last six months of his life and that is where the majority of the stories are going to be. I don't want to hear the stories of the past three years. They're nasty. They're ugly. They're defiling. They're insultive to the living God. The stories I like to hear about Every single time we're together, there's another, at least, one more story. Now, I want to show you something. When DK first came to me, I had an office in McPherson. He was referred by a mutual friend. He comes in. He starts explaining to me this, 
this emergent lifestyle he was living and blah, blah, blah. And then he started getting into the gory details of what he was doing on the side. And I obviously got a very quick picture of this guy thinks he knows who he is, but he doesn't know who he is. I'm going to have to let him think who he thinks he is so that I can keep him in the chair. Did you hear what I just said? I have to let people think who they think they think they are so that they won't leave the chair. So I can get them to this phase. Phase five is I don't explain identity to them. That's done in the first four phases. I get to try to stay with them in their ministry because they are so excited about it. It's just happening. You see what I'm saying? I'm not constantly chasing down the issue of identity with DK. I'm having to stay up with him to keep him tuned up. He has a tendency to love prophecy a little too much. So we're always in these little discussions where I'm turning his volume switch down. He's like, don't do that. But it's the part of him I admire and I'm going to lean on a lot, but I don't want that to be his focus. You see? That's this process. It's just tuning it up so that it will just multiply exponentially. Now, once this person, you, me, the person you're working with, enters in to the cross, the true meaning of the cross. Now, let's take the scripture that was what was being hinted at earlier. Paul being attacked by a messenger of Satan. What's a messenger of Satan, folks? A demon. It's nothing other than a demon. There's no way you could explain that passage to me and say it was his flu, it was his, his eyesight, it was, it was a demon that was assigned to Paul to buffet him, to keep him Paul from exalting himself. Paul's greatest sin was the fact he was too bright. Paul's greatest sin was the fact that he was a chief Pharisee. Paul's greatest sin was the fact that he was perfect in his sin. He was a perfect shunist. Everything he did was done perfectly. So God had to consistently reduce him down to ashes so that he would get over that. That was God's popping out of Paul's can. So he, three times, I know that there are certain people that pray about their infirmities three times per hour or minute. No, in a whole adult ministry period, he comes to God the third time. Three times in his entire ministry. He's hurting. So three times in his entire ministry, or 30 times for some of us in an hour, the fact is, you're hurting. And so he confesses out to God to have this thing part from him. And Jesus immediately responds, been waiting for this perfect anointed moment for Paul to enter in. Paul was about himself, ready to step from one zone one phase, whatever you want to call it, and he was going to step into a complete new phase of his life. 
And something very powerful had to happen in here, in here, around here, before that was going to happen. Part of the solution was not removing the demon, which is the primary teaching in the church today. Do, say, practice, study, memorize, to keep these demonic forces away from you. If we had spent time in my office to get into the scriptures on that, you're probably going to be a little bit embarrassed to find out that there's very little doctrine in the Bible that supports getting demons to leave you alone. It's not the point. The point is even demons have to, have to succumb to God's request. They move when God allows them to move. They don't move when God sends them into pigs. He's in full charge of what's going on with Paul that moment. So Jesus does what Jesus does best, and he puts the emphasis upon the true point. And it was Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. That's it. You would think this would be the time that Jesus would go into a two and a half chapter sermon on Paul. No. Why didn't Jesus lecture Paul like we have to do on Sunday mornings? Because Paul wanted the least amount of words so that he can embrace his greatest amount of faith. That's the kind of man Paul was. So Jesus said it, and what was Paul's response? Do you remember? Didn't he argue with Jesus for a couple chapters? How fast this man responded blows my mind. After the first time I read it with true understanding, I prayed to God and I said, God, I don't know what this man has, but I want it. I want that kind of faith. I don't want to have to memorize it, practice it, preach it, write it. I want it now. Hear it, and it's now. That's what I asked of the Lord. Boy, was that a mistake. Not really. But if you want something now in understanding, you have to give something up to get it. So Paul's response was, okay, well, since my greatest sin is boasting, because I'm so perfect, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God would be known. Instantly he hears it and says, okay, the conclusion here is I need to brag about the fact that I am nothing. I'm weak. So the power can be seen and released. I don't know too many Christians or want to be Christians who even know what that means. To brag about I'm weak no, we pump irons. We get facelifts. We get all dolled up. We try to fix this decaying body and so forth and so on. What? Just to mock God? The more emphasis you put upon your external body, the more you'll die in your soul. I promise you. It's not right. The life has to come from inside out.
to where it affects your responsibility of how you care for your body. If you do it opposite, you'll get the opposite results. Sooner or later, you're backslidden again. You're wandering again. You're questioning God again. You're fixing the externals again. And then what does God got to do? He just reaches down and puts a torch to him and burns them up. And he starts you all over again. And you do that again and again and again. Why? It's because your can's crushed. We need to be brought to the point that we are expanding the capacity of the Spirit by allowing Christ to work his life out through us. This phase five unfolds the foundational concept for completing or for complete and effective living in Christ Jesus. And of course that's done through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it is not the end by any means, but the starting place for the disciples switching from the self-effort. This is what DK was talking about earlier. Switching from self-effort to Christ doing the work through him or her. It is a moment. Paul didn't go study what Jesus had to say. And that's what most of us do. If you find yourself studying what we're talking about today... You're behind at least five steps in your spirituality. Studying to show thyself approved is not for the purpose of personal growth. It's for the purpose of ministry. So when you are confronted, you're held into account of what you believe. True life change is hearing the truth, embracing the truth, and being as Paul and saying, well, then I'm going to boast about being weak, because you get it instantly because of the Holy Spirit. If you have to practice, pray, read, study, and do those kinds of things to get it, then you're not going to get it. Studying is for the purpose of preparation of ministry. Life change is through the Holy Spirit personally, from inside out. Once the disciple transfers his or her foundation from self to the indwelling life of Christ, that's when real life begins. Now let's go back to that passage again. After Paul says that, there's this verse 10, this powerful passage. He said, therefore, I will be well content with insults, persecutions, distresses, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Here is a guy that is saying, okay, I'm going to be well content. The term content itself means tent dweller. You're sitting in this tent with rips in it, and the air passes through it. It's cold, it's damp. It's, you're sitting in this tent, and then all of a sudden you're saying, to God, I'm okay with this. I won't fight it, won't try to change it. I'm okay with it. That is where the term in the Greek, well content, comes from. I am well. It is well with my soul sitting in this tent that is full with insults, destruction, persecution, difficulties. Why? Because for Christ's sake, when I am feeling the weaknesses from these vulnerabilities, I get stronger. That takes the exchange life to really live that real kind of living. 
But we want to go and fix the fix that God's got fixed on us to get us fixed from always fixing ourselves in front of that mirror. DK was saying to me in text, I was trying to downplay what he was doing, but as I was reading the text, I was being inspired. But he was talking about, I just want to go home. I just want to see my Savior. I just want to... That's where we need to be. I don't like this world anymore. I've tried fixing the things that I thought need fixed, and I can't get them fixed anymore. I'm dying daily. I'm just sick and tired of this world. Now you think that's a final place to be, right? It's the starting place. That's when Christ says, good. Now we can get down to some business. Now I can allow people to persecute you and insult you and distress you and cause difficulties for you because every time they do, you'll just say, I'm getting stronger and stronger. Do you or do you not, Stephen, want me to answer your prayer. That's what I want everyone who's listening today. I don't care where you're at in the world today, what culture you're from, what religion you're trying to get out of. I ask that today is, do you really want Christ to answer your prayers? Because the fact is, I don't believe there are very many Christians, indwelt Christians, who truly want Jesus to answer their prayers. They want Jesus to adjust life circumstances so that it feels like he's answered their prayers. But to stand up every morning and say, insult me, persecute me, distress me, cause difficulties in my life today, old enemy, old afflicted one, because I'll just get stronger. Have you ever met anyone that gets up in the morning and says that? I've met a couple, but they're rare. A couple bullet points to keep in mind. Please don't get confused. The foundation is not just Christ as our Savior, but it is Christ as our life. Christ as our Savior happened on the cross. Christ as our life happened on the hill. Ascension. So the Holy Spirit could ascend, descend, and we could have this empowered life. It's not just the cross. It's the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You have to have all of those to understand the exchanged life. All that the believer is, is in Christ. It's nowhere else. And there's only one way to get it, is to somehow get inside Christ's life. The greatest theologians in the world today are not going to get what we're talking about. Unless they're in Christ and Christ reveals it in them supernaturally. There's no way to get this. It can get you excited for 20 minutes. It can get you excited for two weeks. But you're not going to be able to literally hang on to the true reality of Christ in you unless you're in Christ. This is not to be embraced by knowledge. It's to be embraced by life. 
True Christ's life discipleship is to direct the disciple to enter into his true identification in Christ by helping him see the death and what it did. Helping him see the burial and what it did. Helping him see the resurrection and what it did. And helping him see the ascension and what it did. What is the most significant piece of truth of the ascension? I'm in a resting position right now. Seated at the right hand of Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's three power beings sitting in these chairs. Three! There's gazillions of angels watching this whole thing. Right now. And I'm sitting on the throne at the right hand of Christ. And God the Father sees His Son's reflection in me. And my reflection is inside Christ. So when He sees Christ, He sees me. When He sees me, He sees Christ. At the right hand of God. And we think we don't have power. So when an affliction happens to us on this little earth, how we respond to that affliction gives proof to what you really believe. So when God allows a demonic affliction in your life, you need to, to grieve, you need to suffer, you need to hurt, you need to do all the normal things. But when you get up in the morning, you need to say, this is well with my soul. When I was in the hospital with heart failure four years ago, God would not let me leave that hospital until I got on my knees and said, God, do not let physical affliction part from me for the rest of my life. So when things happen, what's the real test? Oh, pray it parts? Well, that's what, how most people respond to those requests. And I'd like to have it part. I want to suck life out of this affliction as much as I can so that I become stronger because of it. Whether it is for two more days, two more hours, two more minutes, two more years, or 20 more years. I happen to think you get more life when you embrace the lack of it. That's what I believe. But that's God's call. That's not even in our domain. But that's because I have to stay focused on being seated at the right hand of the Most High. Well, there's the tomb dwellers. Remember those guys? Oh, woe is me. I'm in a dark place. Oh, darkness, depression, oppression, rebuking demons all day long. Demons aren't going to get out of the tomb. They're commanded to stay in them. You get out of the tomb. All these people that are running around demanding that demons leave them alone, the first thing goes through my mind, what you doing living in the tomb? So it's like they're sitting in this tomb, sitting on that cold slab, and they're like, in Jesus' name, you demon, leave this house. You, it's like, you leave the house. Get up and get away. Do not allow this oppression to master you. That was Paul's point. That was Christ's point to Paul. We're not having a discussion here, Paul, about your demons. We're having a discussion here about my grace is all you need. Period.
Grace has been given a rotten definition, even by the Greeks. By the Greeks, it actually means unmerited favor. Well, you take it back into the Hebrew, that's not the definition you're going to get. Grace is power. It's life. It's a lifestyle. But it does have unmerited favor. You don't have to perform to get it. In fact, you can't. So when Christ died, the indwelt believer died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose from the dead, so did we. In the newness of life in Christ, of course. And with all lies put aside, all indwelt disciples of Christ live with the same power and victory that Jesus Christ himself lives and operates in on a daily basis forever and ever and ever, for eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. You want to know what messes with the enemy's mind? Is the fact that he can't tamper with eternity. He can tamper with life forever after. Because that's what he's getting. Do you understand what I'm saying? Satan gets life forever after. He doesn't get eternity. There's a huge difference. You see, when Satan is bound to the pit of hell forever and ever and ever, he will not have the prerogative and privilege to absorb any goodness from the past. He will not be able to take any credit points from anything he's done in the past. He will start forever after life at the time he is put into the pit of hell and begins that suffering. It'll be that day forward of hell damnation. Part of victory is celebrating your past. Do you get that? When John was lifted up into the heavens and he saw forever past and present and future, that's victory. What was true for Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross was true for John that very moment. Or for us today. And it will be true 2,000 years after that and 200 trillion years after that. True Christ's life is eternal life. It's celebrating the past, the present, and the future. Hebrews 13 and 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Satan won't get that. Nor will anyone who goes to hell. They will have life forever. But it'll be with gnashing of teeth. And having their rumpuses on fire forever and ever and ever and ever. And the suffering, the separation that sin provides. They will not be able to get out of the tomb. They will be bound in the tomb where demons glorify. That's where they live and breathe and brag is in the tomb. It's a dark place. It's a horrible place to be. And that stone will never be rolled away. So yes, there's a big difference between eternity and life forever after. I even have heard too many Christians use the life for a Christian after they die as life forever after. That tells me they don't get identity. They don't understand this. It's not from the point you got saved. 
That puts the emphasis on you. You got put into a living life that was forever past, present, and future. That puts the emphasis on Christ's life. Not me. But if I make salvation about me, I get life forever after. That's when I got saved. No, Steve Finney was saved before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? That moment was chosen for me. I had nothing to do with it. I got lifted up by the back of my collar, so to speak, hung on the cross, co-crucified with Christ, stuck into the, the grave and suffered the tomb, came out of the grave and had resurrection power. And God said, now look at the life you're in. That's the exchange life. I can't make it any more simple than that. If he can forgive, we can forgive. If he can win battles over the enemy, we can win those same battles. If he lives above the circumstances, we can live above the circumstances. The truth being said, anything true about Christ is going to be true for us. So any comments or questions about this list? This is heavy stuff. It's light in the light of Christ, but it's heavy in the light of a confused mind. So it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to try to get clarity for something. It should also cause us to get up tomorrow morning and say, afflict me, O Lord. I mean, if you can say to a father that you love and respect and trust, afflict me, O Lord, you think you have the power to tell him what to do? Then you don't understand your identity again. But if you get up in the morning and say, Afflict me, O Lord. He's only going to do what he was going to do anyway. <laughs> it's just that you're willing to embrace it. So you'll have life out of it. Instead of, oh boy, here we go again. I think you will find in church history that if you look at guys like Hudson Taylor and Watchman Nee, I don't know if you know Watchman Nee's final story. The man was basically paralyzed. They couldn't shut the exchanged life out of this man. Hudson Taylor, he was constantly having to be pulled away from missions because of a sickness he had in his lungs. Constantly sick. Constantly fighting and warring, being able to get to the next mission. Paul was constantly fighting something, whatever it was, that he couldn't, many times even had to cancel missions. Sent Timothy in, instead. It's a part of equipping and processing to the next generation. I can assure you, if I stayed grand healthy, I would not be working on equipping the generation below me. I wouldn't. Sorry. It's just the way life is. You just, I love to preach and I'd love to be here every single Sunday. And God's like, that's not what we're supposed to be doing, Stephen. We're imparting this to a next generation so I can take you out. See, my job's not here. This is a schooling for my job. So when that job comes open in heaven... 
I'm going home. So are you. So we've got to have the next generation ready so they carry these truths on. It's an easy point to forget. When DK was saying, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready to do any preaching. I just, I'm like, right. And who's best at evaluating that? I am. Because I gave my life to you. And that life that I give away to him better be the life of Christ. I trust Christ in him, in you, but I don't trust you. And that statement you've heard me say many times before is I don't trust any human, not a one, not even my wife. I trust Christ in my wife. I trust Christ in my kids. I trust Christ in my friends. People are not to be trusted. God doesn't even trust you. He trusts Christ in you. That's the only place he can place his trust. You take the T off of trust and what do you have? Rust. You stop trusting even what someone's doing to you. If you're afflicting me, I can't look at you as the afflictor. Does it not say that? For we don't fight flesh and blood, but powers of darkness, principalities of the air. God keeps saying this to us. It's not about humans. Humans think they're so grand and almighty in the truth being said. They're nobodies. They're specks on the wall. But if they have the life of Christ in them, that changes everything. Then even demons get to know their names and tremble. Because of Christ. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family-integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America, right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www.heartlandfellowships.org. It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.